Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Have you checked the children? children, children. I want to play the game. The box. You opened it. We paid. This is the All American Speed Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the All-American Spook Show podcast. I'm Josh. I'm joined here with Donnie hey. and the Professor Smoke. Yep. And Will could be with us. He's on assignment. But we are welcoming Austin Trunick, author of the Canon Film Guide, Volume 1, and now Volume 2 to the show. Now, we had you on back in, I guess it was probably January or so. It was early this year. Uh, of course, since then, we started our Canon Fodder series, and, and uh, you appear... Every time we do one of those with your, now now we call it the Canon Chronicles segment. Thanks for coming. No, thanks for having me. And thanks for inviting me to, to record those uh, intros for you. That's, I, have, I have fun with those. Yeah. It's always it's always fun to go deep into one specific movie and something that caught chili. I never expected no, anybody yeah. to, <laughs> now, talk to now, about. now we kind of have to blame you for that one. I'm, <laughs> I'm surprised you spoke to me again after, yeah. <laughs> after going hot chili. Well, would it, would it have been any different if we had watched what was the other one? Hot Resort. Probably not, Hot right? Resort. No. <laughs> Hot, neither, is a, neither is a great movie, but Hot Chili, I think, is, at least has a more interesting story behind it. That Hot Resort doesn't have as, as much excuse for <laughs> being the way it is. That doesn't, that's not a ringing endorsement. Yeah, like when you, you said, like, well, there were no uh, summer camp movies that, we, you know, you knew of, you know, that Canon Films had done. So we're like, all right, well, we're not going to look any further. So these are the closest ones. So I, I think we just kind of took a round table, like, you know, pulling straws kind of thing and just yeah. landed on yeah, that I think one. We, just, we watched the trailers to both of them, right? And then yeah. just kind of like, well, well let with Hot Chili. It basically <laughs> looked like the same movie in different locations. So fuck it, Hot Chili it is. Pretty yeah, much. The, neither of those movies any of us had ever seen. Those definitely, I mean, no, I, no. being a huge Canon film fans going back in the day and stuff, I'd never even heard of either of those. <laughs> No. So that was just interesting seeing it that in that context. Never even hearing of it. Yeah. Yeah, those are ones I wouldn't have seen back in the day either. That those those two came to me after starting on this project. I I think I told you guys last time we we spoke, but my video store had no problems with renting ninja movies or horror movies. If it was R-rated for like violence or gore, that was okay, but if you were underage and there was like a woman in a bikini in it, it was you you couldn't get that out without like uh, uh, someone old enough renting it. So it's just a very weird, weird sort of role that, at least in my experience, and you know, yeah. out in the middle of nowhere in Ohio, that was that was how the video store seemed to work. Huh. Same here where I'm at in South Carolina too. <laughs> but before we get into the you know the heart of the matter and talking about your your latest book and everything, uh, when we did the missing in action episode, the only thing you didn't give us when you talked about that one was your cannonball rating. So, oh, uh, somehow you left that out. You got so keyed up on all the details that you, yeah. you left your oh, rating boy. out. For it. So, so what do you, on zero to five cannonball rating scale, what are you going to give Missing an Action? Oh, boy. It's, I think it's one of the better Chuck uh, Cannon movies. 
but it's not in the same tier. Invasion USA would be my where I'd put put the top top tier of his uh, canon collaborations. So I guess four. I would say four for that one. I don't remember right offhand what we gave it, but it was four to five. I think almost all of us, you know, we were in that four to five yeah. range for that one. So yeah, mm-hmm. not not far off. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 only because. I know how crazy they can get, and it just doesn't get to that same level as Invasion USA. True, true. And a lot yeah. of and a lot of the other canon catalog, right, just gets even nuttier. Oh yeah, yeah. That one's missing in action is surprisingly straightforward for <laughs> a lot of a lot of canon <laughs> materials, canon movies. Uh, I actually checked out your uh, your IMDb, you know, sometime some time ago. You know, you've uh, you've written some uh, some screenplays, you know acted directed uh produced and all that but uh, uh do you see yourself kind of returning to uh that side of the industry oh boy it's tough i don't that's nothing that i'm really in i i'm eager to go back to or do again i had made a movie that so as as writing and directing it it was a the end results were disappointing and that's i guess the only way to describe it and it was something mm-hmm. that despite everyone's best en- efforts <laughs> you, you get these great stories of people all banding together to make this independent film and yeah. everybody having the best interests in mind, all having a good time, really putting a lot of love into it and still sort of <laughs> coming, coming out as a train wreck. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it gave me a lot of, at least, I, th- I, I think, I think I can empathize with talking to some of these Canon directors and things I've done since where, where something in a movie can go wrong. It's also there, there are people that I think are much better equipped for that sort of job. I I'm I'm not somebody who loves managing a lot of people and why I thought I was I would be a good <laughs> person to direct a movie <laughs> that was I don't know where where I would have thought that. But it's it's something I enjoy and I enjoy having that experience and I think it definitely helps me understand how especially writing about these sort of movies and researching them how a tight a very tight budget, a very tight shooting schedule you have to be the right type of people, and there's so many people that can make movies on. <laughs> yeah, plus it gives you a, kind of a different perspective. Like, like you, like you mentioned, you kind of empathize with these uh, directors, but you know, also uh, uh, from you know, also you mentioned you kind of have a pet project, and you know, you pour everything into it, and then it, it kind of gets shit, gets shit on, or whatever, you know, <laughs> uh, or it doesn't turn out the way you want you want it to. Uh, it's uh, it's demoralizing in a sense it is it is and but again it's an experience i wouldn't have i wouldn't have trade for anything and oh definitely definitely yeah i had a lot on doing it at the time (laughs) and it it does give you a deeper appreciation like you said for that the other side of the coin you know and and just for you know being someone that you know uh does what you do you know writing about movies and interviewing people and uh, a little bit of everything that you do and, and the things that we do here on the show too you know talking about the movies and interviewing different people and stuff like that. So it does give you a different perspective when you've been in that position. Right. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely. It's, it, it has definitely shaped the way I look at movies, especially when it's something like a Canon film where often things go wrong <laughs> <laughs> there and often things don't go as planned. And yeah, I think it, I think that in, in that way has helped Helped me a lot in what I'm doing now. Speaking of what you're doing now, so Volume Two came out. What was that like? Uh, May something like that? I think when it yeah. officially came out. Yeah, yeah, of, it was of the Canon Film Guide. <laughs> yeah, it was this almost a surprise release. I I didn't really 
do a lot of make any announcements ahead of time or anything like that. There are the for the first book I announced like three months out and then it's like in February of like 2020 or something. And then COVID hit and I just watched like oh. paper shortages just <laughs> paper shortages happen. Like nobody being able to go to go out and do anything. Um, everything got super weird shipping going super weird. So it's one of those things that when the book was ready, my publisher asked me, he's like, when do you want to put this out? You can do it now if you want. And I was like, if it's ready, let's do it. Like (laughs) I can say, I can know right now, at least like I can, I can feel, I can have good faith that the next couple of days are not going to like the world's not going to get turned upside down (laughs) again. Like it did with the first one. Now this one only covers from the years 1985 to 1987. Why, why just the two years? Well, this is really peak canon, at least of the Golden Globus period. This covers a lot of probably their most famous movies, I would I would say. I, I think it's fair to say. It is their most ambitious period, both in terms of how many movies they're making, how many movies they're announcing, but also how big these movies are. This is when you have Masters of the Universe, the American Ninja movies, Over the Top with Sylvester Stallone. Um, Superman 4, King Solomon's Minds, the two Alan Quartermain movies, all three Toby Hooper movies came out during this period with Life Force, Texas 2, and um, Invaders from Mars, Runaway Train. It's just the list goes on and on and on. And if you were going to make a list of probably people's favorite canon movies, even Invasion USA, the Delta Force, the Big Chuck movies, the ones that people most associate with canon came out during this period and it is only those years 85 to 87 but it's significantly larger than the first book which covers a longer period of time 80 to 84 just because of how much they were putting out this was a time that canon thanks to a hit like missing in action they had missing in action and break in both sort of land back to back and those were two of the most successful movies they they had in their entire run. And so this led to them heading into 85, 86 with not only the distributors and theater chains and things taking them seriously, but people within Hollywood, other like filmmakers, actors, big name stars. So they could actually kind of punch above their weight class a bit. Most famous, I think the biggest example um, of what Canon was like during these years in May of 1986 at the Cannes Film Festival they took out a 60-page spread of ads in the trade magazines, Hollywood Reporter and Variety, and this was announcing their slate for the next 12 months. That's 60 movies. That's, doing the math, that's more than a movie a week. Wow. <laughs> you shake things out, There's, I'm sure there were weekends where, had they hit that that mark, they would have been putting, they would have been competing with themselves, three movies, three movies at the box office at a time, which is wild and this is a time too like if a big studio one of the major studios your 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 foxes your columbia's things like that your warner brothers if you had seven movies out in a year that was an incredibly busy slate and if canon only hit half of their mark if they had 30 movies out that's (laughs) just an insane amount of production and and this is a time where they are producing movies uh, a movie like life force at the same time as um invasion usa with chuck norris at the same time as american ninja at the same time as runaway train which got oscar nominations and a robert altman film it's such a weird a weird eclectic mix of movies and genres and styles and budgets and 
they're just hammering them all out at the same time. And hot chili. And hot chili. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. You, I'm sure favorite. the longest chapter of your book is just devoted to hot chili, right? I actually lumped hot chili and hot resort together because oh. I found that writing about them both, there was so much overlap that yeah. they did. They didn't deserve their own chapters. I only do that for franchises, and I unofficially lump those together as a as a franchise, yeah. even though that I think there was like two weeks released apart with at it on video or something something crazy like that. Yeah, we're just we're just gonna go ahead and dub it the hot shit franchise. <laughs> yeah, those both of those movies lifted a lot from the uh Canon's Lemon Popsicle series, which was a series of basically teen sex comedies that started in the late seventies and they just pumped them out one after another and in Israel, but those never hit here. They remade the first one as The Last American Virgin. A lot of the best gags from the second, third, fourth Lemon Popsicle movies all were reused in Hot Resort and Hot Hot Chili. Ugh. So if you think those two movies are similar after you've also seen like Lemon Popsicle 3, you're like, I, I can't tell these three films apart. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a, a shift because uh, I noticed uh, you could, I think you'd put it on uh, Twitter. That uh, you recently, like at, toward the uh, end of August, you visited uh, the Mahoning Drive-In uh, mm-hmm. up in uh, Pennsylvania. How how was that? Like what 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 was going down that weekend? And uh, how was that? <laughs> that that place is, I mean, uh, for if you're any sort of genre movie fan, it is worth the pilgrimage. If you're within any sort of drivable distance. Even as sorry, it's it's about five hours for me, and that was my second time out there this summer. I went just the first time just to just as a fan to go see Night of the Comets and the Apple in June. Good lord! <laughs> oh, it was a heck of a night. And you're you're truly a fan if if you're driving five hours to go see the Apple, man. Well, it's it's. I mean, you can you can stay there overnight. So I drove out there, got there like right as Night of the Comet was starting. Watched both movies. Passed out in my car about two thirty in the morning. Woke up at seven and drove home. <laughs> <laughs> so I was home for home for lunch with the kids. But it's a magical place. It's, it's such a cool cool vibe. They do such incredible themed weekends and mm. themed nights. And it's all on thirty five millimeter. It's I was all about on to say the, it's one of, if not the last, like drive in that still plays thirty five millimeter films, right? Or or, or yeah. specifically just thirty five millimeter, right? Yeah, that that's all they do, and they're showing movies at least three nights a week, if not four or five, depending on their busier weeks. Like right now, I think uh, Camp Blood just wrapped up, which is all horror slasher movies. I'm and about then... to say it can't be the actual Camp Blood <laughs> movies. Tell me not. <laughs> then next, well, they the first night of that is actually I think it was Thursday night when it started, and they had they were showing the Mutilator hmm. with oh. like, ha- like I think four cast members there or something like that, which was. Really cool. And then, then this weekend, which I'm sad because I was just out there two weekends ago. If if it weren't so close, I would be out there again this weekend because they're doing for Ar- Dario Argento's birthday. They're doing six Argento movies on 35 millimeter. Oh, wow. Which well, would be so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was there. I was there for Action Fest, which they do films, which is Harry, Harry Guerrero, who runs that runs exhumed is also he does it's garage house pictures i think is his dvd label he brings all, all these movies so i saw the main attraction was friday night it was the warriors with several of the real life warriors present and then two more walter hill movies saturday was commando ninja three the domination and kickboxer which just a 
incredible triple feature. I, and I was there to introduce those movies and sell books. But the third night was what was the craziest is uh, they put together, exhumed, put together a two hour um, trailer reel, 35 millimeter tra- Canon trailers. What? And watching two hours straight of Canon trailers is <laughs> even for me, I wasn't, I, it, it was, it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, awesome. it, it was wild. And it was something that there weren't a ton of people there because that's not really what gets people to drive out to the middle of Pennsylvania <laughs> on a Sunday night. But the people that were there for it were yeah. really hardcore Canon fans. And I saw trailers that I didn't even think existed. Things like that. I didn't, I've never seen a penitentiary three trailer because a theatrical trailer, because what's on YouTube is only like the little video trailer. And that's never had any sort of home video and a few other ones that I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome because even the day when you can find almost any trailer on YouTube to actually see things that you've never seen before, it was really cool. But it was so much fun. Where did they even find? Where do they even find that at? Like in libraries or something? Well, he'd said he'd been collecting it because um, he's got a uh, exhumed has a giant collection of 35 miller prints. A lot of okay. these things they show are his hmm. um, personal collection, and he says he started doing this on this collection ten ten years ago. So he just got it to two hours now. He just got it to five reels to, to show it. Wow. But what's unfortunate is he's trying to rent it out for the rest of the fall, I think, to like should be writing the different five millimeter theaters around the country to get try to get him to show it because it needs to take it apart because the next time he does a Bronson weekend, he needs to pull all those Bronson trailers back out of there, stuff like that. Speaking of Bronson, I was just the Paul Talbot had been there earlier this summer for their our, our mutual friend for oh. their can their their earlier action fest in in june and he had, he had offered me a lot of great advice just said bring twice as many books as you think you need and <laughs> things like that if you're selling so i yeah i i he's he's someone i greatly admire and i'm i'm so incredibly grateful that he doesn't want me messaging him now and then for for advice <laughs> that's awesome yeah that's actually uh um uh, something else we're, we're gonna ask you uh, you and paul uh, both uh, share a uh, publisher, uh, Bear Manor Media. Uh, how'd you how'd you get hooked up with them, and uh, how did they help you with Volume Two? Well, Bear Manor, I actually sought out because <laughs> because of Paul's books. I I had written most of what was the first volume, and then when I went to look look into publishers, I just looked at my own bookshelf and looking at the spines and okay, like these, these, there are like, I have these several books that I love and especially the Bronson's loose, loose books. And so I thought, okay, well, if they're interested in a, a bit, a book of Bronson, <laughs> Bronson movies, um, that aren't the death wish films, aren't his Westerns, they might be interested in Canon. Bear Manor is a small publisher. It's, um, run by, um, Ben, Ben and Art, who, is a guy with who loves movies, loves pop culture, has great, like very fun. A lot of we love a lot of the same things. Yeah, he's he's it's he's a lot of fun to work with. Um, very enthusiastic. At which one year working on a, a niche project, um, like like my books are, it's very encouraging to have. Yeah, as as far as as help that's i i needed help putting the books together editing the books actually turning them into something more than just the documents on my desktop into something and i admire people who can self-publish it's a lot of work and he's somebody who has 
an audience. Bear Manor has an audience for these sort of books, and they know people that they can, editors, things like that, designers who can really make it look awesome. And they've got so much fun stuff coming out all the time. I, I recently just got um, From Vietnam to Van Damme, which is a book about um, Sheldon Lettich, who wrote Bloodsport and uh, a lot of other Van Damme projects. But his his biography, just how he went from fighting in Vietnam to <laughs> working on writing Bloodsport for Golden Globus and writing a Rambo sequel and things like that. It's intermission time. Time to pause and refresh at the snack bar. During this short break, you can treat your taste to good food and sparkling cold beverages, including delicious Coca-Cola. If you're hot dog hungry, we have them. Sizzling, juicy hot dogs served in warm, oven-fresh buns. Plus a complete menu of all your favorites. Visit the refreshment center now. Enjoy delicious food and ice-cold Coca-Cola. Uh, going back to Volume 2, which is out now, what were your favorite movies from that specific time period that that you did for the book? Like, what was your maybe your favorite interviews, like your favorite, um, you know, for lack of a better way of phrasing, your favorite chapters? There, there are a few. One that's doing the American Ninja chapter was a lot of fun. That one I got a lot of interviews for and got to ch- check off some bucket list interviews like Michael Dudikoff is one that I wasn't. I, I didn't think I would be able to get him and you know, I ended up connecting with him and he's just one of the most incredibly nice people <laughs> that is, it's something they, they say never, I, I'm trying to think of the phrase, never meet your heroes or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I think back to being, you know, six or seven years old and swinging a stick around in my backyard, trying to pretending I'm Joe Armstrong from, American Ninja movies, and then, like just a year ago, I'm on the I'm on the phone with Michael Dudikoff, and he's asking me how my kids are, and things like that. And it's just, it's 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 mind blowing. But that was that 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 chapter was really fun to put together because I looked at all five movies, and I talked to a lot of people involved with different ones. Sam Furstenberg, who directed the first two, and then Cedric Sundstrom, who directed the second two, and. A lot of talking about working in South Africa during um, when politically it was not a very great place to be. Mm-hmm. And so that that's one personally that's I was looking forward to working on in this. Um, Texas Chainsaw 2 is another chapter that I really loved putting together because that's a movie that has a crazy sort of just production story, just how quickly it came together and how slapped together everything was <laughs> really because it had to be because Canon had promised this movie to theaters by august 22nd and it's march and they don't have a <laughs> they don't have a really a script together they don't have a cast they don't have a plan and it's just really toby hooper and lm kick parson throwing this thing together as fast as they can and writing it as they go it's the the final shooting script for that is dated june 28th so they were writing it as they went they finished shooting on june uh, july 4th the 4th of july like at noon that day and the movie was in the theaters August 22nd. It's wow. just the whole story of that one. And I got to talk to Bill Mosley and Bill Johnson for it. And both of them have these just sort of great war stories of, of working on a film that <laughs> just was such a wild, wild environment. I, if I had to pick a chapter that surprised me how fun it was, is a, there's a movie called Tough Guys Don't Dance. And it is written by Norman Mailer. 
I had always kind of written it off before I'd written, before I'd watched it for these this book. I, I had never seen it before, and I'd written it off as a like a prestige picture, something literary, something. The trailer makes it kind of look like this hard-boiled sort of neo-noir film. And I wasn't really that interested. And when I finally saw it, I wasn't prepared for how crazy it is. It's one of those movies that, based on what you see and the what little I knew about Norman Mailer, I, I was not expected this movie to be up there with, you know, The Apple or Penitentiary 3 or something like that for how weird... <laughs> this movie is and how crazy and it's one of my favorite canon movies now it's <laughs> I've, I've watched it so many times i've gone and visited to locations multiple times now it allowed me it gave me the opportunity to talk to wings hauser who is somebody who i've always loved and i think most people love if they like b movies or exploitation straight to video stuff and they from the 80s and 90s you've definitely encountered wings hauser many many places he's just it was a wild interview he's a <laughs> It, he's 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 a pretty pretty in, in, intense, interesting, funny, charming um guy, and it's just a very freewheeling. If you if you read the inter- interview in the book, he talks about just very casually meeting Charles Manson when he was a kid. He lived in out in out in Los Angeles with his father, who was like a blacklisted screenwriter, and he lived next to Bob Denver from um, Gilligan's Island. Hmm. And he talks about Bob Denver never being able to see in his house because the windows were still so, so filled with marijuana smoke. And he had a cheetah run in the yard. So people, some people have a dog on a line. He had a cheetah that just ran back and forth <laughs> on a line right along their property line. What the? He had some pet, he had so, a pet, <laughs> he had a pet chimp that used to chase, chase their, uh, his sisters around, um, at certain times of the month. And they had to like lock their house, like, like run into the house and lock the door and, they only had one door that locked in the house. It was the bathroom door because it was kind of a hippie community where nothing was ever closed up. And Charles Manson sometimes came and hung out. And <laughs> it's it's a crazy interview. If if Jesus. anybody reads anything in the book, like <laughs> just skips, you can skip the other 980 pages and just read the 1000 <laughs> interview. And I think you'll be entertained enough. That sounds awesome. Some some definitely some dream dream come true interviews. I don't know if you if you guys will remember, but there was that news story ended up being false. But the Wings Hauser death hoax like two years ago or something. No, I think I it even went on like like CNN or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they bothered to dispel it for like two years or not two years, but like two days, two uh, days. Like there was like a good like 24 to 36 hours where I was like convinced along yeah. with a lot of other people that Wings Hauser had died. And I was like, oh, I'll never get the chance to talk to him or I never had that. And then it just came out. No, I'm alive. I'm fine. I just no, didn't I'm right over here. What's wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for I, I, me personally. I haven't picked up volume two of the book yet. I, I, I just haven't had a chance to yet, uh, but I'm looking forward to picking it up and uh, giving it a good read. Cause I, I've really, I really enjoyed uh, the first one. Volume. Oh, one. Thank you. So, you know, I told you before when we did that one, you did a great job on that one. So, I'm sure this one's uh, just as good, if not better. It's it's no, if you. nothing else, it's thicker, right? So I mean, it's like <laughs> a thousand pages. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've got it's like four four and a half pounds or something like that. It's, oh dang! <laughs> it is quite a, a beast of a book. Yeah, I'm not much of a reader. I actually picked up uh, volume one, and uh, I'm still working through it. So. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so. well, thank you. I really appreciate. By, by working through it, he probably means like just reading the first page of the introduction or something like that. But Relax. The, pre- the preface. 
relax. <laughs> yeah, uh, speaking of, you know, this being, like I said, 85, 6, and 7, kind of being the peak years for Canon as well, you know, by the same token, being sort of the peak years for three major action stars under Canon's roof at the time, those being, of course, Charles Bronson, Chuck Norris, and uh, Sylvester Stallone. So uh, I know I know the answer to one of these one of this one of these questions, but uh, what would be your favorite movie from each of those actors? At least their favorite, you know, your favorite canon film from each of those actors. I know. I think yeah. you said Invasion USA was. Yeah, yeah. Invasion USA is my my Chuck pick for sure. For Bronson, gosh, Ten to Midnight is my favorite non Death Wish Bronson movie from canon. But that's not from this period. If I were to pick from this period, I am. That's it's. Gosh, that's tough. I like both Mur- Murphy's Law and Assassination. I would probably go with Assassination out of those two, even though the ending really falls apart. That's. It's a interesting movie, and <laughs> once you know that Cannon literally pulled the plug on it <laughs> um, during that time, they had run out of money. They needed just money to complete some other productions, so they just came on and they're like you've got this gigantic scene where you've got jill ireland crashing a plane into lake tahoe and a chase through the woods and her using martial arts on some guys because there's a joke throughout the movie that the he's protecting the president's wife and that she knows martial arts and it never pays off because they ripped all those pages out but i think they fight a bear or a jaguar or something like that it's crazy (laughs) it's absolutely crazy and they didn't have they didn't have time to film that because Canon went and ripped those pages out because like we can't afford to shoot this anymore. So those last pages went and we get this very bad sort of like ending where it's like you can obviously you can always like pick out stuntmen that like stunt doubles for Bronson because Bronson's got a very distinct way of like carrying himself. But this is a guy on a jet ski who doesn't even like he's got like a Beatles wig or something on. It's not even like a Bronson and he's supposed to be Bronson's character. And this is this is the finale we get for assassination. So it's unfortunate because I, I love like I think it's a it, the movie would be a lot better regarded if it didn't have such like a wet fart of an ending. But knowing the story behind the ending, I can kind of like, OK, I'm glad we, it even ended like knowing canon. They probably would have been happy if just. You know, you got to where the big showdown would be at the end, and they just put up a black screen with text describing yeah, what would or, have happened, or a freeze frame of Bronson like giving a thumbs up or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the kind of thing that I'm. So th- that they got anything out of it was was pretty good. So yeah, I'd have to pick up after out of this period. After, I'd have to pick Assassination, just just being like a really really fun one. And I guess technically you'd also have like the De- Death Wish three and four came out during this period as well. So for picking a Death Wishes, I'm I'm a Death Wish four fan. I love Death Wish three as well, but Death Wish four is the one that if I'm going to pick out any of the series to watch like right now, <laughs> no matter what right now is, I just Death Wish four has um, John P. Ryan, who is one of the most fun fun actors in the canon the canon ensemble. And what what about Stallone? I know he didn't have as many Canon films. Right. He had, so two with the Canon with Golden Globus. So he did Cobra, which Canon just their Their credit on this is really technically a vanity credit. They had got Stallone had wanted, they wanted to get Stallone to work with them. Menachem Golan wanted to make over the top, which everybody loves. It's everybody's favorite father, son bonding, 
arm wrestling road adventure movie. I believe it's because it's the only one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the only one of its kind. It is the only one of its kind for sure. Making it the best of its kind. Yeah, yeah. But they, Stallone wanted $12 million to do it. And Canon doesn't have that kind of money. That is the kind of money that they would shoot two and a half Chuck Norris movies for, like, <laughs> big budget. Like, they could shoot, hot, like, like a, an entire Chuck Norris trilogy for that, yeah. or like several ninja said, films. That's probably like eleven or twelve movies for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, one hundred percent. Even even Charles Bronson was making one and a half million per movie from them, and that was can, can, there were so many Bronson movies they couldn't make because they didn't get enough sales to justify just paying Bronson's salary. <laughs> yeah, one of the reasons why. Bronson was originally supposed to be playing the Lee Marvin role in Delta Force. It was going to be Chuck Norris and Charles Bronson together, but the sales weren't enough to justify paying them both. And so they went with a cheaper actor and then got Lee Marvin to replace Bronson um, just to stay within their budget. What, but, could, what could have been? Yeah, yeah. what might have been? That's, a, yeah. that's like opening up the first two seals in the Book of Revelation or something. <laughs> yeah. The, the ads for that that Cannon put out with both uh, Chuck and Charles on it had the tagline across them. You're going to need to build bigger theaters, <laughs> which I, it, it's such a canon canon uh, hype yeah. <laughs> way of doing things there. But he they so back yeah going back to Stallone he they they wanted they wanted to make it, but of course Canon didn't have twelve million dollars sitting around. That's not their way of their way of operating. They couldn't write a check for that, so they optioned. <laughs> Those are the, that's what Menachem Galan called it option. They they optioned Stallone and they gave they had six months. They gave him five hundred thousand dollars for this exclusive deal with um, them. He, their next movie was going to be he was a, he had an exclusive contract with Canon. That's what Canon cared about the most having being able to put out these ads that say like we've signed an exclusive contract with the biggest star in Hollywood right now. And then they had to drum up the money to actually make the film. So they did it through a lot of their typical ways, uh, going out to the film markets, selling it to Italy, Spain, Japan, pre-selling the like video rights, the cable rights everywhere they could. But even that, that's a way you can easily drum up $10 million to make a $5 million Chuck Norris movie. But that's not how you're going to drum up Ten million dollars of pre-sales isn't even going to pay Stallone's salary, and you still need twice that to make a Stallone movie. They're looking to get twenty-four grand. So they did other things. If you ever wondered why there's so much beautiful product placement in uh, in Over the Top, it is. I will say the product placement is over the top. If you'll pardon me for <laughs> saying that, but <laughs> everything from like batteries to vitamins to trucks to cologne to beer to if you're watching for it, it's very funny to to see. But they finally went to Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, much bigger studio, that sort of money. If they needed half the budget, I think, at that point. But that's not much. That's not much for Warner Brothers. Well, it's you know an entire year's worth of operating costs for, for Canon. They struck a deal with, with Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers wanted to make Cobra. They wanted to do it. They didn't want to wait around until Canon was done shooting their you know this silly arm wrestling movie with, with their star <laughs> they said okay you stop you let us make cobra first you let him out of his exclusive contract with you for this time we will bring you over to i mean that we will then we'll bring him to you when when he is done with cobra and 
we will pay for over the top. We will also give him the salary. We'll pay his check for you. So, so Canon got Warner Brothers to do that, but something they got to to make the deal work. Just because Canon had spent two years at that point advertising their exclusive contract with Canon, they got their name put on as like a co-producers is basically a vanity credit. <laughs> so I love Cobra. I love Cobra, but it and I will I I will make no. No argument with anybody who wants to call it a ca- canon movie because it's going to end up on every list of the best canon movies. But the canon side of it is really just like we need you to pay Stallone's con like his paycheck, pay him for us so that he'll make our movie. So, um, so, we'll so, let, so we'll in reality, him. Over the Top is the only real co- uh, canon movie. That he yeah, did. so that's that's a very long way of my, me giving you the asterisk yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to to my answer because. Yeah. Yeah, over I would have to say over the top if we're going by that's why there's a whole section in in the second book where I, I am trying to I try to explain why I, I didn't some movies don't get entire chapters and you get the story that I told you just right now in the book, but in even longer, more detailed form <laughs> mm-hmm. that I probably should have just written a chapter on Cobra in it by all the space I dedicate to explaining why technically I didn't. <laughs> I love over the top. I think it's, it's a, it's a fun movie. It's one that again, because it's a Stallone like family movie, which in the, in the Rambo era, wasn't exactly the easiest thing to come by. That was one i watched a lot as a, as a kid. <laughs> well, I look, I loved volume one. Uh, I'm sure whenever I get a chance to read volume two, I'm going to love that as well. I mean, I, I've heard good reviews. So uh, with, with that being said, and to kind of bring it home, where are we at on volume three? <laughs> volume three is going to be a little while still. I am hard at work on it. They're one of the things that I'm really excited about. This is it's Canon's direct to video period. For the most part, they, they, a lot of these movies that they made, these mass universe, the Superman fours, the over the tops kind of bankrupted them pretty much. And, they had to go they survived but they with a lot of bailouts and a lot of help but they had to go back to really shooting movies that were like even cheaper than what they were doing in the beginning when they were just shooting very cheap slashers and sex comedies and things like that it's definitely kind of a dark period of canon but there's some classics in there you get the rise of van damme the discovery of van damme which is of course awesome and some more fun dudikoff and a couple more bronsons Chuck Norris movies. They kept making movies with him through through their final dying gas company in the mid '90s. Where I'm having a lot of putting together, as I mentioned earlier, Canon would take out these giant spreads, announce 60 movies, and make half of them, if that. And that was something they do all the time. Uh, only a small percentage of the movies that they announced would actually go into production. I have something by last count. It was around 150 movies that canon announced that they never (laughs) they never made so this is where i'm having fun talking to people who worked on those projects finding out why a like what if there were exact reasons other than just not having money that they fell apart but what they would have looked like had we gotten them there's so many great charles bronson movies that were went unmade um, a movie that I've I've been actually I've spent my day today reading about going through old pay, old issues of Black Belt magazine tr- looking for notes and and things on um, a movie called Deathmatch, which 
Chuck Norris and Aaron Norris were basically trying to make what sounds a lot like Bloodsport. Uh, it was a martial arts tournament movie that was going to be for the 80s. They were, they were, their, their whole idea was they were, we were going to do a Enter the Dragon for the 1980s. But it, it's interesting. It's interesting to see where this sort of came apart because I think Van Damme happened at Cannon under like basically under <laughs> Chuck, in Chuck Norris's own home and kind of made the movie that he had dreamed of of making and I think kind of <laughs> disheartened him uh Chuck Norris a bit but it's it's interesting to see where projects like that are sort of coming together a lot of horror movies that um Cannon especially announced in the early 80s some slashers and things that just sound Sound like a lot of fun. A movie called Lover's Lane with um, Wayne Newton, the Vegas like singer, the crooner. Yeah. yeah. Um, what? He would have played a slasher like psycho killer <laughs> uh, who who, you know, they're, they're the ads have like a picture, like a silhouette of him, like with it holding a knife and then a silhouette of like two teenagers making out in a car and Stuff like stuff like that that would have been fun. That was actually that was a movie that was brought to canon by the producers of Death Wish Two, and it was going to be directed by Emmett Alston, who did uh, New Year's Evil for them, then did some ninja movies later on. And I would have loved to have gotten, but yeah. <laughs> it's kind of it's 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 fun trying to piece together these basically I guess lost canon movies. What 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 could have been? <laughs> it seems almost what, like you could get a whole like volume two and a half or something just out of the. The Lost Canon, you know, the, the movies that... <laughs> oh, we'll see how this... We'll see what this shapes up as, because it's... Yeah, I my, my plan is to put it in the third volume, but it's it's already a gigantic chapter. Yeah, I mean, I've, just heard, I've heard about what Superman 5 was was supposedly a thing, right? And then mm-hmm. uh, Spider-Man, right? That was Yeah, be... Toby Hooper's Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah what? Jeez. <laughs> that was yeah, something yeah. to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we almost had Spider-Man movies by both the director of The Evil Dead and the director of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, I think we that was something that got pointed out either by you or us, I don't remember on the uh, uh Missing in Action episode, right? That Yeah. That's how they got that's how they slid in the Spider-Man cartoon on the, on the TV. Was yeah. because they had that that connection with Marvel, right? Yeah, there's actually a great um issue of Spider-Man. It's I I couldn't tell you, but you can find it if you if you if you Google Charles Bronson Spider Man. There's a issue from nineteen like early nineteen eighty five where Charles Bronson is just it's clearly him, and he's he's reading a newspaper article about a street vigilante, and it was it was one of those things where yeah, Canon Canon and Marvel just loved each other at the time and were hiding little Easter eggs in <laughs> each of their each of their media for the other one. So you get Paul Kersey basically showing up in, yeah. <laughs> in in Spider-Man and and Spider-Man showing up in in a Chuck Norris movie. Look at this yeah, crazy yeah. Spider-Man. <laughs> I actually I I just googled it and uh, sure enough. Yeah, there he is. I mean, that's that's Bronson, awesome. Bronson in a comic. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Paul Kersey is in in universe he is actually a in part of spider-man canon that's awesome well Austin, i guess that's uh pretty much all we got this time around uh we won't have our next cannon fodder episode until sometime in november because you know we kind of we got a lot of stuff going on in the month of october so we kind of take a little bit yeah. of a little mini break but uh i think uh right now we've got it slated for the november 14th episode so whatever whatever canon movie we land on we'll uh we'll get in touch with you and let you know 
and uh, get your get your latest bit of information on the Canon Chronicles. Oh, so, I'll be happy to. Yeah. And I really appreciate you guys. I have fun. I have fun putting those together for you. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's always a good time. It's nice oh, talking. Yeah. It's nice talking to you again. All right. So next week on the show, we're going to be doing Smoke's Choice episode one hundred and twenty seven is going to be the Witch. Was that from twenty fifteen? Right, Smoke. Yeah, twenty fifteen. Oh, it's that 2015, 2016 thing. I guess. 2015 it officially oh, yeah. came out. Or at yeah. least it played some uh, festivals. Yeah. And then I think 2016 was the wide release date. So that'll be kind of, uh, even though that episode comes out on September 26th, uh, that'll kind of be kicking off the month of October in a way. But then right after that, the next, the next week, on October 3rd, episode 128 will be the second annual Spook Show Awards, where we go through the, uh, through, through the last year. We have... What do we have, Donnie? About twelve to fifteen categories, something like that. Yes. Um, worst, worst movie, best yeah, movie, and, all that stuff. And also, yeah, you'll, you'll be uh, interested in knowing that we do have a, uh, a best cannon fodder episode award. I think for that one. So uh, I don't remember all the nominees that we've done so far. And we now, you know, before we started doing the cannon fodder series, we actually did early this year, literally at the beginning of the year, we did New Year's Evil, and then we did Tid to Midnight. But that was before yep. cannon fodder, so we're kind of retroactively throwing those in, you know, in the <laughs> a canon. soft launch to the series. Yeah. 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 It just kind of, you <laughs> yeah. know, that's kind of where all this, you know, mess got birthed was, uh, when we did new year's evil and then, uh, and it just kind of grew from there. But yeah, so we're, we're yeah, kind of unofficially, episodes. yeah, we've kind of unofficially threw those in there. So that those will probably <laughs> up to be up for consideration as well. But, uh, yeah, that, that'll be on, uh, like I said, October 3rd, and that'll really be the kickoff to a lot of cool things we got planned leading up to our fourth anniversary show that will come out on Halloween day. So, uh, Austin, thanks again for coming. Uh, where can everybody find you on the, on the old internets? They want to track down your book or you. <laughs> I'm at Canon film guide, both on Facebook and Twitter. That's the, that's the easiest and quickest way to find me. All right, well, there we go. And, uh, you can get your book on Amazon and where else? Amazon, Bear Manor Media, or uh, your your local bookstore. Uh, if you get if you still got one of those, if you're still lucky enough to have one in your neighborhood, even a Barnes and Noble, they yeah. can they can order it for you. Good. You know, it's, it's always good to support brick and mortar when you can. Yeah, support brick and mortar and support Austin. Go get his uh, those first two volumes of the Canon Film Guide. Good stuff. So, All right, thank dude. you. Until next time, I'm Josh. For Donnie, Will, who couldn't be with us, of course, and, and uh, Professor Smoke. We are the All-American Spook Show Podcast, and we'll, and we'll talk to you next week. Please replace the speaker on its rack when you're ready to leave. Failure to do so will damage both the speaker and your car. We'll be grateful, and so will the patrons who follow you. <laughs>